Thank you, Elder, Elder Lance. Um, he's one of my bodyguards. You guys probably didn't know that, but the pastors here have, are assigned, each pastor is assigned two elders that are there to pray for them and make sure that everything is right. Maybe it'd be better if I turned this the other way around. Huh? <laughs> Tech Sunday, go figure. <laughs> Doesn't work like that. Hey, I'm really pumped this morning. I'm excited because I found out that after many, many years of marriage, there's only one thing about me that my wife can't stand. Now, let me just add before I continue, it's not appropriate to seek out the pastor's wife after the service to find out if it's true. I'm sure she can't stand this, but whether it's the only one, that's negotiable, okay? My wife can't stand when I waste her time. And I do this all the time, like I'll be looking at something or reading something that I'm all excited about, and I say, oh, honey, honey, guess what? Then she turns around, she drops what she's doing, gives me her full attention, but then I haven't finished process what I wanted to tell her, so I'm still looking at it, and so she's there waiting, waiting, and then after a while I realize, yeah, this isn't really worth telling her. And then she tells me, like, you just wasted my time. Well, I hope I don't waste your time this morning, okay? Well, time actually is one of our most valuable assets because it's the one thing that we all run out of. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it tells us that we are destined, all of us are destined to die, but we don't need the Bible to tell us that we're going to die. We all have figured it out now that we will die. And because of that, we have an expiration date on all of us. The mystery behind knowing when that date is makes us vulnerable to wanting to get a lot of things done before that date arrives. Because of that, there's a lot of competition for our time and our attention. Access to our attention and skills to successfully influence us once it has been granted is one of the biggest industries out there. And it happens not only in, in you know, the business world, but it also happens in the spiritual world as well. On a commercial level, the business of fighting for our attention is advertising. It's a $73 billion a year industry. Last year, a Super Bowl, a 30-second Super Bowl ad cost $6.5 million. Imagine someone paid $6.5 million just to get 30 seconds of your time. Our contact information, your phone number, address, email, is one of the most sought after commodities. You can't walk into a store, pay for something, and just leave. They try to weasel you into giving you one of those, having you give one of those things. Why? It's so they can send ads your way, ads that you probably don't want. See, social media is described like this. It's defined as an internet-based form of communication, a platform that allows users to have conversations, share information, and create web content. Beautiful description. But in reality, it's just the space for our attention so they can pump ads our way. The social media was created to poke our attention by figuring out the things we like. It's designed to grasp our attention by feeding us the things that we like, and it's intentionally engineered to keep our attention for as long as it can, because your time and my time is money to them. But on a spiritual level, it's different. There's a major battle going on for our attention. 
And that battle is between God and Satan. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we read, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. The truth is that a lot of the persecution and battles going on in your life today are not really intended for you. That battle is between God and Lucifer, between good and evil, between heaven and hell. And that battle's been going on for ages. You could say that maybe you're caught in the crossfire between God and Satan, but the truth is we are the object that they're fighting for. They're fighting for our attention. God is fighting for our love and affection. So because of the brevity of our life here on earth, there's an urgency for us to get the message of Christ out. God chose to use us to do it, and he's equipped us with his Holy Spirit so that we can do it effectively. But in the same way that faith without works is vain, having the Holy Spirit without an action plan for us to strategically go out and reach the world is also vain. And that's where technology comes in when it comes to worship. Regarding technology and worship here at Delta Alliance Church, this is what we believe. We believe that our call is to further the reach of the Word of God to a visually driven society through the quality use of our gifts as they pertain to current technology, graphic art, professional audio and lighting. We aim to keep our church technologically relevant while keeping God at the center of our focus. In short, we're not trying to be cool, we're not trying to be hip. We just want your attention because we've got an awesome story to tell and little time to tell it. We believe that the manner in which we deliver that message is important. And we're trying to find what's the most effective way to get that message to people's ears. But the truth is, we can't cater to everyone in the worship service setting. We've got too many people, too many people like different things. Some like organs, some like pianos, some like uh, the hymns, some like the worship songs. See, we can't cater to everyone. It's a hard time as pastors to, to put a service together. But we just try to keep our focus on Jesus Christ. And if everyone's looking at Jesus, hopefully everyone will jump in what we're doing here in our services. But that's why we have the small groups here at Delta Alliance Church. It's more age-specific. You can find a group of people that like the same things you like, that believe in the same things you like, and in that group, you're able to, to really blend well. So we encourage you to join a small group here at Delta Online Church. The worship service is the pep rally. We get here, we get excited, we sing together. The small groups is the practice, the practice session. But the game is your real life out in your neighborhood, where you work, where you play. That's the game. So let's start by looking at worship technology. Let's define it. What is worship technology? We've got a name for it now, and we've got a definition. Worship technology is a created artifact intended to aid and enrich communication between God and humanity during gathered worship. Sort of like parables or illustrations, they help tell the story, but te the technology is not the story at all. It helps us get the point across. Examples of technology in the Old Testament, first of all, the altars. I don't know how many of you guys uh, are reading through the Bible, reading through the Bible again, and going through the Old Testament. 
You always find that the people, they get to a point where they stop and they build an altar to thank God for something. Or they have altars where they offered sacrifice. That was technology in their time. Then we have the famous tablets, the tablets with the Ten Commandments that Moses had. Uh, there's a joke that they say that the tablets were the first, uh, those were the first tablets where, that were downloaded from the cloud. It's a dad joke, a Christian dad joke. I had to say it. Then there was the Ark of Covenant. It was a beautiful art piece. God told Moses how to build it. And it, was, it, was, it housed the, the tablets in it. But it was built to teach the children of Israel about the holiness of God. You can't touch God. God was there. He was present. But you can't touch it. If you touched the Ark of Covenant, you would die. If you want more reference, watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> also in the Old Testament, we see the scrolls that people used, uh, that they wrote the, the law. And, uh, but there's one piece of technology that I want to focus on today. And we find it in Numbers chapter 21, and that is the bronze serpent. In the passage in Numbers 21, we find that the children of Israel continue to mess up. God is doing everything he can to rescue them and to provide for them everything that they need. But time and time again, they grumble and they complain. In verse 5, it even says that they were speaking bad against God and Moses. And God didn't like that. Let's read verses 6 to 9 to see what happened. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. That bronze snake was a piece of technology. It was an artifact, but it was also a tool that God used to teach the children of Israel. But here's the thing. The technology of a bronze serpent on a pole itself could not save the Israelites. And they knew that. It was their belief in the word of God, what God said, that saved them. It was just a symbol. It was effective because when they looked at it, they were healed. And it points us to the gospel today. It's a simple message. Believe and you shall be saved. So now let's fast forward 1,400 years to see another part where the bronze serpent was mentioned. And we find it in John chapter 3. And that's where Jesus Christ was having a conversation at night with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a doctor in the law. He was a well-known person. He didn't want people to see him trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. There was something about him that attracted him to Jesus, but he couldn't pinpoint it. So he got a special meeting with Jesus, and Jesus graciously accepted for him to come. And we all know John 3.16, where, where Jesus tells him that, you know, everyone who believes in him would have eternal life. But let's read what Jesus says in John 3.14. 
And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus was telling Nicodemus, that serpent, that was me. He was tying the old technology of the bronze snake on a pole to him in current time, soon to be placed on another piece of technology, the wooden, wretched cross, which today is a symbol of Christianity. The cross can't save us, but believing that Jesus Christ died on it and rose again, that does save us. So let's look at technology and history. I want to pick one piece of technology because this week uh, we did something. Uh, we did a thing. <laughs> That's how people say. Uh, we got rid of some hymn books this, this week. And the reason why is because the church has moved on from the books. We still have a stock, don't worry. We still have a stock that people can use and we have them available for, for groups that want to use the hymn books. But the hymn book is a staple in churches and many people believe that the hymn book is sacred. The word, hymn, the word hymnos is Greek and it means songs of praise. When that word first appeared in 7 BC, it was not in reference to the God of the Jews. It was in reference to songs of praise written to the Greek gods. But let's fast forward looking at the hymn books. Around 16th century, when the printing press arrived, people started writing songs and people started publishing songs. And one of the main things that were published now were hymn books. And you'll find that most of the hymns were written after the printing press came out until maybe 200 years after that. There was an explosion of hymns. And we've used the hymn books up until about 25 years ago when some churches started fading them out. Other church technology that we find in history is the stained glass windows. Not only beautified the churches, made them nice, but there were stories that were told with the stained glass. And when you look up here at our church, our stained glass is the emblem or the logo of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Other places that you will find uh, uh, technology in the past is when you visit Europe, visit some of the cathedrals, especially the, the basilica, you go up there in the Sistine Chapel and you will see paintings all over the churches, sculptures. Those are all technology that tell stories. But there are two main dangers concerning technology that I want to point out to you this morning. And this has to do not only with church, but also in general. And that first, the first danger is this, is that the heart of man is desperately wicked. We can't trust our heart with all this knowledge and all the technology. See, at the end of creation, God looked and he said everything was good. But soon after that, Satan came and he spread doubt. Adam and Eve sinned. And then with the newly acquired knowledge that they had, pride was planted in the heart of man. As a result of that, we are where we are, where for thousands of years, God has been putting things in place to draw us back to him. Because for eternity, his desire is that no one be lost, but that everyone be saved. 
but looking at technology in the in the Old Testament uh, and tying that in with the desperately wicked heart of man one place we can stop at is the Tower of Babel you see man was never going to make it to God by building a tower that they could go up beyond the clouds they thought they could today we know that that was totally stupid they'd get to a point where they would pass out they wouldn't be able to go any higher God out of his mercy messed up their tongue so that they couldn't continue he could have let them go and find, figure it out but out of his mercy he stopped that project it was a silly project but it reflected the pride of man to think that they could reach God but we also see the wickedness of man in, in history and in science a lot of people say that we're living in the best time I have an iPhone, an iMac at home, an iPad. I have my Power Mac that I use. I'm all Mac'd up. And for those of you still on Android, we will pray for you to join us. When you get to the gate, St. Peter is going to look up for your name and he's going to look and see, are you Android or, or Apple? Okay. <laughs> the gospel according to Carl. No, but the truth is, we're living in a wonderful time. So it's a great time to be alive with all the accomplishments, everything that man has made. And a lot of the things that they created was just to save us time. But we've also invented things such as weapons and bombs that can destroy this world many times over because our heart isn't pure. There are great strides being made when it comes to genetics and cloning, but do you really trust the scientists when they say, oh no, we're doing this ethically? If you do, clap. <laughs> but then again, there's another thing. It's called greed. I'll take food, for example. Most of the things we eat has been genetically modified. Why? It's because man is greedy. They're not satisfied that they sell this one. They want to sell bigger better looking ones so they can make more money and we buy it because it's there but it's not necessarily good for us the truth is that man worships money and sadly enough you and I we're, not, we're no different we'll make an idol out of everything and we find that true when we look at the third mention of the bronze serpent in the Bible. And that's in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1 through 5. Let's read it. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah in the third year of King Hoshea's reign in Israel. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. Listen to this. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. So 700 years after God ordered Moses to make the serpent, 
He allows it to be removed from his worship and practice because the children of Israel had moved on from worshiping him and were worshiping the object that he had created to teach them a lesson. What was once a vehicle to worship God had become the object of worship. They even had a name for it. But the truth is, it's not just an ancient Israel problem, but it's also a 21st century problem. Today, we want the provision, but not the provider. We seek the miracle, but not the miracle worker. We run after the blessing instead of running after the God from whom all blessings flow. Worship has become a very lucrative industry today, and unfortunately, it's becoming more and more about us and less about him. So I just invite you right now just to pause. What would worship be like if we didn't have all these things? If we didn't have the lights, if we didn't have the sound, if we didn't have the music, the instruments, if we didn't have these comfortable pews and the air conditioning, what would your worship look like to God on a Sunday morning? I remember the times when I used to go out with my dad. My dad uh, was a preacher, and we would go out. Uh, he would go out. They'd invite him to, to, to preach, and I would go with him. And we would get to churches where it was literally just four walls with tin roof on, on top, no electricity, no instruments, nothing but the voices of the people. And let me tell you, it was heavenly. It was beautiful. It reminds me of the song, Heart of Worship. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart, I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And you guys know the chorus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The problem in a lot of churches is that we've become so engrossed by everything in technology because technology moves so fast and everything is changing that we are looking at the technology instead of looking at Jesus. We shouldn't get attached to anything that we use in the worship service. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us that everything, to everything, there's a season. We used to have hymnals. Today, we have projection screens. To the delight of some and to the chagrin of some. We've moved away from the megaphone that preachers used to use. Now we have quality audio in most sanctuaries. Some sanctuaries even have concert sounds with the bass really thumping. The young people like that. A lot of the older folks, once they feel that thump, they say, oh, it's too loud for me. The lights, lights have replaced stained glass. People are decorating with the lights, making the sanctuary all-inclusive, immersive decoration getting the people a part of it. And of course, the organ has given way to the keyboard. We removed the organ here at Deltona Alliance Church, and uh, you guys were really cool about that. I went to Pastor Brad and 
told him that hey, it's costing us thousands of dollars a year to maintain the organ. And, you know, it was hard finding people who could still play. And plus, the arrangement of the songs that people were singing today are not meant for the organ. Long time ago, the organ was created to be a full orchestra. But now we had people playing the different instruments, and there was no need for the organ. So we had to see it go. But guess what? You probably know this, but there are churches that have split over the decision to get rid of the organ. That brings me to the second great danger. The first one was the wicked heart of man, but the second great danger regarding technology and its use in the church would be for us to completely ignore it. We can't ignore technology. You see, the whole thing, the whole battle with technology in the church is that technology moves at a blinding speed while church is one of the slowest institutions to accept change. That same organ that's dividing churches that want to get rid of them today divided churches when they tried to bring them into the church decades ago. Charles Spurgeon is one of the great preachers of, of, of uh, the past uh, century. Uh, he was pastor of the largest Baptist church in England. And uh, at his church, he was against all type of instrumentation. He wanted just the songbook with the main melody written in it. He, they made their own songbook. They called it our songbook at his church. He didn't like the instruments. He didn't like the organ. He was even against singing in harmony. He was against choirs and said that quartets are nothing but a distraction to the worship service. There was an interesting study made looking at two organizations after COVID, and it was done by a Christian organization. And they were looking at two uh, businesses to see how they approached uh, uh, just the whole technology thing because we, they came up to two different results. One of them was JCPenney. Everyone knows JCPenney. There was one everywhere, but now you got to go looking. You have to put in your GPS if you want to find a JCPenney. The other one is Target, which is, I used to call it a souped-up Kmart. Well, both of them enjoyed success and were, were doing well. Then COVID hit. And now both of them are on two, those, each of them are on two different levels. First of all, JCPenney, they had to close hundreds of stores. Just last year, JCPenney closed 200 stores. They made only $8 billion. Target on the, the other side, they made $83 billion and they opened 500 new stores. And the difference is based only on how they approach technology. You see, JCPenney was obsessed with trying to get people into the building. Target said, let's reach people where they're at. Let's meet them where they're at. And then eventually, as they're bought into the products and everything, the services that Target has, they, now the people wanted to come into the stores and they're having to build 500 more stores. Well, the churches were also hit by COVID and some churches have still not recovered from that. Before COVID, the majority of churches weren't ready technologically to cope with many tech issues. Most didn't have a website, let alone a Facebook page. But quickly they realized that what they thought of as evil became necessary. 
But here's how God blessed Deltona Alliance Church. In 2019, we were planning to get everything ready for, uh, for to stream, but we were dragging our feet sort of on it because a lot of people were saying, yeah, if you start streaming, people will just want to stay on their boats and, and follow from, from, from home instead of coming in person. But we obeyed the guiding of the Spirit, and we did it. We were ready. By the time COVID hit, we had been streaming for eight months, and we were ready to just flip the switch and continue our services online. That's God's provision. That's God being merciful and watching over us. See, COVID didn't change anything in itself regarding our focus on technology. What it did to the church was speed up about 15 years of slow-moving change to within a two-year window. It forced the church to face the reality that we live in a world that demands quality level production in order to get and keep people's attention. Um, I remember asking some people after, hey, did you watch the service today during the COVID time? They said, oh, no, I haven't watched Deltona. I watched uh, Robert Jeffers in Dallas uh, today. Uh, I'll get to Deltona after. Why? They have, they have great production there. You know, they spend millions to, in their production. But some of you may ask, is the Spirit of God not enough? Yes, the Spirit of God is enough. In reality, God could have done his evangelism work without us. And the example of that is the Apostle Paul. He was enemy number one, persecutor of the church. He hunted down and executed the followers of Christ. But God reached out to him personally by giving him a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. And the light of the holiness of Jesus was all it took to make him turn around and repent to become one of the pillars of the church today. So there's an urgency today to reach the younger generation with the gospel of Christ. And it's the kind of urgency that makes you leave the 99 to go seek the one. For us to be a little uncomfortable, the older folks, so that the young folks can come here and feel comfortable. See, they're the church of tomorrow. But Deltona Alliance Church, God has blessed us because you guys get it, that it's not about us. It's not about this being a place, a country club, where exclusive members come and attend and have fun. But instead, this place is a place where the sick can come, find it inclusive, and inviting enough to seek the healing that they will find in none other than Jesus Christ. So as we continue on this pilgrimage together, here are a few things that you could be praying for us regarding worship and technology here at Deltona Lions Church. First of all, pray that the Spirit of God would flow through us as we create. We are all created in the image of God. God is a creator. And here's the thing. God didn't make just one species of bird. God made 9,000 that we've counted so far, over 9,000 varieties of bird. When it comes to fish, over 30,000 different variety of fish. But yet, somehow, we believe that only one style of music is what God likes. Only one translation of the Bible is the one that pleases God. We're putting God in a box, let me tell you. So pray for us as we create, that the Holy Spirit would inspire us to create the things that God wants us to share when we're trying to reach him. Second of all, pray for wisdom in making purchasing decisions. 
We thank you for your generosity and we thank you for understanding while we make changes to your comfort and your traditions. Third, pray that God would continue to supply servants to work in our worship ministry, people who are talented, people who are gifted, that God would send them. And maybe you're not talented or gifted, but you're willing. God will give you what you need to serve him. All you have to do is say yes. And finally, pray that we keep Jesus the focus of our worship. May we be excited about what excites Jesus, and that's people. People need the Lord.